pertinent information that would have been good. Was it news? My memory is just the worst thing. Is anything news? It's like Swiss cheese <laughs> with large holes, and everyone else is the rats. Does it taste good? It's not. I haven't tasted my own brain. I haven't watched the new Black Adam trailer yet. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> Are we not excited for Dwayne the Rocks? It, no, it looks fine. Black Adam. It looks, it looks totally and completely competent. Yeah. Are you excited for the Joker sequel? Joker... Uh, I hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> the joke that keeps on giving. <laughs> it's like called Folie de Trois. Folie de Two. Folie de Two. Folie de Two. It's a psychological term for like a shared or something mental illness. I, I sense a Margot Robbie Harley Quinn entering the Walking Phoenix. Can you imagine that duo just just chewing the scenery for two hours? I can. And I'm here for it. I'll be there day one. I don't know, man. <laughs> Not that I... I wasn't would've... even a huge fan of Joker 1. That's right. You hated it. I you didn't hate it. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Fuck. No, it's... It, you. Yeah, I, I understand. It's... I mean... It was a movie that was made... In a, society. And, and was good. No, I mean, it just... Yeah, it's true. But it wasn't like Shawshank Redemption or something. You know, like... Yeah. It wasn't like this life-altering... Yeah, yeah. It was basically Taxi Driver again. So yeah, and I I think I like Taxi Driver more. So That's so fair. so it's like oh okay, you're pulling from taxi. It was just like an homage. The whole movie to me was just an homage to Taxi Driver. Well, to advocate for the devil, Shawshank wasn't the first prison escape. <laughs> but I see what you're saying. Yeah, Joker wasn't like a what? Shawshank Redemption is not about the escape as much as it's about the poop <laughs> the what <laughs> when he's crawling through the sewers oh. the sewage sorry that was a that was a bad that was a low-hanging poop no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one listens to our podcast oh it's fine people are like i came here for an <laughs> intelligent conversation an artistic french film i want to be intellectually st- jokes. <laughs> i want to be intellectually stimulated and titillated, and I'm just being thrown this potty humor. Who is this guy? Get him off. We're Steven. Get on the competent individuals. I'm not. Bring back the guest speakers. <laughs> Let's have a rotating second man, and Gabe can just pop in for like, you know, the occasional. <laughs> no, I can't. I've said it once, and I'll say it again. I can't do this podcast without you. We're also getting reviews for Jurassic World Dominion. Dude. You want to talk about that? I'm so excited because I secretly want it to fail. Uh, All signs point to you'll be rewarded for your... Uh, my diligent outcry <laughs> of Colin Trevorrow's direction. Every time we see a movie and that trailer starts to roll, I, you I have this, groan. this, uh, this exasperated sigh. Like, oh. <laughs> It looks like I've read a few things online and I think they're uh, reliable sources of information and I'm not excited for what we're going to get. Oh no. I'm yeah. This movie is going to make Jurassic World one look like Jurassic Park. I think I'm excited. So like to confirm what I've known for a long time. That's why I'm excited about it. About Colin Trevor. Yeah. I'm not excited for a crappy Jurassic Park film. But I'm excited to confirm 
what I have known inside of my heart and mind for a long time. You know it to be true. We're playing podcast catch-up. We got a lot of stuff in the works. Lots of new voices on the cast coming. Yeah. Not on this one. <laughs> no. But, yeah, we have a whole list of about 15 to 20 episodes that we want to do before June ends. Ever more content on the horizon. Yep. Things are ending and, and, and starting and new movies are coming out. Yeah. Thank, thankfully, I do feel like we're going to have a little bit less to do in July. Thank God. I can finally slow down a little bit. Yeah. It's been flying under the radar, but I think Westworld comes out this month. Oh, God. Yep. No one cares anymore, but... No, no, no. I didn't say... I, I'm just, like, <laughs> thinking about more podcasting. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, and we keep getting surprise drops, like Bo Burnham's Inside Outtakes. Inside Outtakes. <laughs> so that was oh, that that's... was fun. Yeah. I got to finish that, and then maybe do we'll do a little cast. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Okay. There's so much stuff happening. Um, we're not talking about... An American film today. No. We are talking about a French film. Yes. By Celine Siama. Your girl. My favorite. In a small pool. <laughs> Actually, French I don't know if that's. art filmmaker. Because Juliana or Julia. Oh, yeah. De- uh, Decor or whatever. Yeah. The, the gal who directed Titan, Titan. I think, uh, works in French as well. I don't know. If, I think she's French, but. Uh, Celine Sciamma is a very different style than Julia, but her new film is Petite Maman. Little Mom. Released domestically here. For all of you English folk. About a month ago. As Little Mom. Yeah. But it is Petite Maman. (laughs) Petite Maman. It is a very relatively short. Yeah. Runtime. Only only about an hour 12. Yeah. It's like, like an episode of television these days, streaming television. French language film, small covid style drama by that i mean it's like only a few actors and it's in a remote location yeah i think there's like five actors and it's just a super sweet little heartwarming film and we're here to talk about it yes why don't you talk a little bit because i don't think we've ever actually talked about celine more at length about her and and also the film that you loved which you have mentioned previously on the podcast yeah, this is from... We, we haven't talked about that movie in like... This, the movie that came out uh, just before we started our podcast is um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was one of my favorite. I think I, in retrospect, because it came out later in the US, but I ranked it as third on my list of 2019, which was an incredibly competitive year for me, for, for movies. But I absolutely adored that film. She has a very unique style of filmmaking where it's very quiet i mean i haven't seen any of her stuff from before that but it's in terms of her last two films they're very quiet and they're very i guess meditative and uh a little bit a little bit of slice of life ish like a tiny bit of that but if you're paying attention through the the quietness you you do watch like there's a lot of subtlety to her films i feel that add to the character development yeah, and she she's done actually a lot of films. Uh, before Portrait of a Lady on Fire, she did Girlhood in 2014, Tomboy in 2011. Oh, I didn't know she did Girlhood. She's done a couple shorts. She did a film in 2007 called Water Lilies. She likes to work with female performers a lot. Yeah. I think that's her, f- her favorite thing to explore is uh, the female, what is it, psyche? Or- Probably because it's, you know, she can relate to it and... She can make art about it. Yeah. Anyway, 
portrait of a lady on fire, in my opinion, was a masterpiece. And I think it's what kind of uh, got her a lot of recognition on the international stage. Mm-hmm. Or at least, I think, as far as a Western audience is concerned, that, that had the most reach of anything she'd done so far. And now she's back. I liked it too. I should say I liked that movie. I don't. I didn't like it as much as you did. But it was. It was very good. Every, every like frame of that film is just like. I mean, they say there's that expression. Every frame of painting. <laughs> every frame of painting. But it's it's legitimately like a masterful film. It, even it, even before you get to the narrative, like the story yeah. that she's telling about these two women. It reminded me a lot of Spencer. Yeah, but Spencer had a little bit more like frenetic energy to it. Did it? In my opinion, I don't know. As Portrait, far as the look goes, uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. There's like it's very filmy, you know. Yeah, yeah. But Portrait is very. I don't know. She has such a patience with a scene. Yeah. She has a lot of long takes and really just lets her actors live in a shot and in a scene and explore that space. If that makes any sense. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, they're they're typically very quiet with just few instances of music or score, which make those instances very powerful, you know, like at the end of the film or in Portrait, there is a, a scene like halfway through the film with... I was going to say, because the cinematographer for Spencer was the cinematographer oh. for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There you go. And I might have mentioned that on the Spencer cast. I think, I don't think we had a Spencer cast. Did we not? But oh. I know that we talked about Spencer. I like that movie. At one point. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, and she also was a cinematographer for Petite Maman. <laughs> yeah, there you go. She's good. What's her name? Claire Mathen or Mathon? Mathon? M-A-T-H, like math, O-N. Mathen. Claire. She's only 12 years older than I am. There you go. I like her cinematography a lot. Spencer was a kick-ass, beautiful film. And Portrait of Lady on Fire, another kick-ass, beautiful film. And Petite Maman... You know, I had a very distinct visual aesthetic as well that is very recognizable, you know, especially because of this cinematography style. Yeah. Like you said, it's very filmy. It's very a washed look kind of. Yeah. And now it's not desaturated because they are very colorful films as well. But yeah, it's just what happens at the contrast when you go the opposite way where you don't oh. have a high contrast, you have a very low contrast. It's a very soft. Yeah, very soft. Aesthetic. Exactly. Which adds the beauty. Yeah, and it marries the story perfectly. Yeah. Because we're following a young girl, Nellie, eight years old. Oh, we're talking about Petite Maman? Yeah, sorry. What, is, what happened? What is the story of Petite Maman? Well, written and directed by Celine Siama, as many of her films are. Petite Maman follows the story of Nellie, who is an eight-year-old whose grandmother has just passed away. She goes to her grandmother's, uh, or rather her mother's childhood home, where she, where her mother grew up with her grandmother. And they're packing up things. Somewhere in a country. Yeah, in the French countryside. Near a forest. Yeah. That looks like at fall time. You yes. Know, like, yeah. Which is part of that visual aesthetic. Yeah, all I just the wanted leaves. to throw that in there. It's good. It's good to know. And um, this is a difficult time for Marion, who is Nellie's mother. So she leaves early on into the film. And it's, they have an interesting bond that they establish pretty quickly, a closeness and a, a tenderness. And then so Marion leaves and Nellie gets to explore for the next few days on her own around the area as she and her father continue to pack up the grandmother's home. And over that time, Nellie runs into another kid uh, in the area who, spoilers at this point, uh, turns out to be 
her mother as a child. And this is not really, as far as like plot goes, explained, you know, over the course of the film. It is just now. It's very magical realism. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Where essentially the magical element is just simply accepted and never really explained. Yep. Precisely that. And over the course of the rest of the film, she becomes close with this young girl who is her mother. She realizes pretty quickly that it's her mother. And that is a vehicle for her to explore her mother's story. And uh, as she was growing up with her own stuff that she had going on, she had some medical issues in the family. And it resolves by, you know, they have to leave to go back to their regular home. And before they do, Marion, adult Marion comes back and they have this this nice little resolution mm-hmm. and there's an understanding between the two. Nellie now, you know, even though she's only eight years old, she's very mature for her age. And she did tell the younger version of her mom that she believes to be her daughter. Yeah, that's important. She she basically explains all this magical realism to young Marion, who accepts were they, were it willingly. eight or nine? I can't remember. They're eight. Eight. Both of them at that age, yeah. And they... God, hats off to the casting director because they looked almost identical. <laughs> well, they were twins. Oh, they were twins in real life? Yeah, Josephine Sands and Gabrielle Sands uh, played Nellie and Marianne. Well, it was, yeah, and they were, in my opinion, it was a great performance from them. It's tough with child actors sometimes, but... Both of them did a great job. Yeah, they both embody, especially Nellie, like I said, this maturity... There is such a sophisticated... Maybe I just looked at it in a more analytical way than I usually would because I have such respect for Celine Siyama. Yeah. But these child performances were very nuanced, in my opinion. And there's this... Even early on in the film, they establish not just her maturity, like her um, adult-like tendencies, but she's also very, like, nurturing towards her mother and very, like, cautious around people, which mm-hmm. these are, like, typically more adult qualities, you know, versus a child... Right. So that was a fascinating exploration that didn't feel like precocious or pretentious because usually child actors, when they're going for that more mature... It did not feel pretentious. You're right. I did feel that at certain times, the acting quality was, was higher than other times. But even at the worst acting for the young actors, it was still better than most child actors. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We should also say, I think... You may have touched on this, but when she is in at her her young mom's, her little mom's house, <laughs> when she interacts with her mom, she's also interacting with her grandmother, yeah, who she didn't know that well. And she was disappointed she didn't get to have like closure in their relationship. And Nellie, being the, the main young girl, the protagonist, uh, seems to be very interested in, in death and... Um, she asks a lot of sort of existential questions about death and life and, and wishing that she could have had more closure with certain people that have left. And she has conversations with her mom before she leaves wherever she goes to turn into the little mom. But, uh, <laughs> about that, we should say the grown up version of the mom is played by Nina Maurice. And then the dad is Stefan Verupen, Verupen, or Verupen. And the grandma is Margot Abascal. And all of them were great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she didn't have as much to do as, as the girls did, but 
adult Marion is as is she's this very sad person. Yeah. And, and she's in her early thirties. It was said that she had her young, had Nellie at a young age. So like, yeah. And when she was early twenties. Yeah. There's some beautiful prose to this, or I guess it, it's more like poetry in this, in this film where she's talking about her own sadness and they were like childhood Nellie and uh, Marion are like discussing like the nature of it. And towards the end of the film, young Marion is talking about her sadness. And Nellie says like, sometimes I think it's because of me, you know, because you had me so young. Right. And Marion says, you didn't invent my sadness, which I thought was a really cool, beautiful line. Right. Because she is, like I said, she is like, she has, she had this unspecified illness that they have to have an operation for that runs in her family. I don't know if Nellie has it, but Marion. I, I think it was like a hip, hip or uh, upper leg thing that yeah. gave them like a, a, a bit of a gimp. That would make sense because she has to use a cane, the grandmother. But Which does happen is a, like a hip thing, especially occurring like at a young age is early adolescent age is a thing. Yeah. And so Walt, Walt, there's a lot of fascinating stuff about this film to me, and all, most of it revolves around the relationship between the three women. But something that also struck me that I was curious what you thought about was um, the father. Because he's, he's not really a... In, he's in the film more than the mother, but he's kind of in the periphery. But his relationship with the women in the film is pretty fascinating to me. Because, again, the mother seems almost a little... Uh, disdainful you know contemptuous about potentially like the nature of their relationship getting together and having a child so young but early on in the film it's also established that he's like not really fixated on the past as much as the women are and he's like there's a line where Nellie says to him something about like your memory is not the problem it's that you weren't listening to Marion and I it seemed almost like antagonistic in the way they were behaving towards him but he seems just like the sweetest guy and like a nice dad. And he is like l- loving people in his own way. Yeah. Um, but he was described as being very distant. Yeah. And um, not like talking a lot about his feelings or emotions about things or even even uh, events that have happened. When he's asked specific questions, he just goes, oh, <laughs> you, you already know. Or we already talked about this. or Yeah. Which, which to me... It could be one of two things. It could be Nellie being an eight-year-old girl's perception of her father. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I think kids view their parents in a very specific way. Uh, and and, and they, they build those ideas about their parents up in their mind. Or it could be, you know, a classic man being out of touch with his emotions kind of thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't pin it down because he's seen all his stuff with Nelly in the was second half of the film. Was that your question? Because you never actually. Yeah, I was just curious what your take on that relationship was, on that dynamic because Nelly and the dad. Yeah, and or and also Marion and the and the dad because it just it seemed well, like there was a coldness there. Yeah, I initially thought that adult Marion's depression may have been between because of her relationship with the father as well as the fact that her mom just died. Uh, I watched this with Allie and she interpreted it as Marion's depression uh, was around because of her relationship with her mom, uh, Nellie's grandma. And that the dad wasn't actually, didn't have a bad relationship with adult Marion. And, and at some point he even says to Nellie, the young girl, we're going to get out of here and go meet uh, your mom because it's her birthday tomorrow. Uh, which implied to me that it seems like maybe they're still on good terms. Cause what, 
what relationship that's falling apart is being like, Hey, we're going to go celebrate your mom and, and surprise her for her birthday. Like a lot of, that doesn't really happen in, in, uh, <laughs> bad relationships. Right. So I, I kind of took it like, Oh, maybe, maybe her depression isn't because of the fact that she's married to this guy. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something I, I was wondering about before we even started the cast was like, in terms of resolving the, the magical realism, do you think the mother, cause the film ends with, um, Nellie sitting with Marion, adult Marion, and she like calls her by her first name. And there's this like kind of moment of recognition. And it's almost potentially implied that like, you know, Marion leaves so that this experience with Nellie and young Marion can happen. Like she's facilitating it by leaving, you know? And I was curious if like, All right. if maybe there was an interpretation of this film where it's like, Marion has this memory, you know, in, as her own memory that she remembers and you know, yeah. you know spending yeah. time with her daughter yeah. at that age. I think that was the implication in the final shot. I, I'm sure you caught that where, yeah. where uh, I, I forget who says something first, but Marion at some point uh, has a moment of silence. And then she looks at Nellie really quick as if she knows what Nellie just went through the past couple of days, because it's like, she's now, uh, able to talk about this with her yeah. because Nellie hadn't experienced that yet, but Marion did in her past, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it also leaves it open to interpretation because it seems that it could be interpreted that Nellie in that final scene, in that final shot was just helping her mom with her depression, like with her feelings of negativity, her melancholy about life. Nellie seems like a great kid. Yeah. I was, I was always entertained watching her and young Marion. And also like, like we said, it's very heartwarming. This is a really, really sweet film. Yeah. I, I immediately liked this movie better than Portia to lay down fire because, okay, well, a, I've always thought about what would it be like to be able to hang out with one of my parents when they were my age? Like, what would their fears be? What, what person, like what kind of personality would they display? Would I even enjoy that person? You know, like, would I have fun with them? Like, what would their insecurities be? Like, and so I've always wondered that, like, because I've seen old videotapes of my parents when they were younger. Well, you probably have even other contexts because of being a, a father of two young girls. <laughs> or it's like, they're, they'll, if in a few years, they'll be Nellie's age, and it's like... Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. worry that, like, at some point, they'll be asking those questions about me, and they're not going to know. I mean, that's one of the reasons, actually, that I, I want to do this podcast, because I feel like... In a way, at some point, my kids could find this and be like, oh, what was my dad like at that age? And yeah. They'll know. Well, yeah, it's interesting because as an adult, obviously, there's a barrier to entry in terms of interacting with, you know, your kids. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's an interesting thought that you can kind of have that relationship with your kid or it's like uh, a closeness, you know, and um, an authent- like, a, like an authenticity. I don't know what, what the word would be where it's like, you're friends with your kid, which is, I think, in my opinion, pretty rare. Yeah, that's something I'm aiming for. I just don't know if it will ever actually happen because of just the natural perception of like a yeah. child-parent relationship. You have to keep a, there's a role to play. There is a role and it, <laughs> and it sucks sometimes. Like I literally was telling Gwen like just yesterday about the consequences of of actions and like sometimes the things that we want to do in life aren't good things and they have you know, consequences, or we may not get the thing that we want because the thing we want may not be a good thing. 
and I was trying to explain this to, you know, a two and a half year old, almost three year old. And it's just like, and she, she's a little bit more advanced. So she does understand like the concept, Mm -hmm. but you can see the sadness in her eyes. (laughs) You can see the tears coming out and, and, and I hate being the person to explain that to her. Yeah. You know, the bad guy. (laughs) I don't want to be the bad guy. I even said, I was like, I, I don't like saying this to you. Like I, but this is the reality of, of life sometimes that like when we do something that we know is wrong, it, it has a repercussion. Yeah. Except I tried to not use the word repercussion. She doesn't know what that means. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Your actions have consequences. <laughs> <laughs> stop pouring gallons of water outside of the bathtub. Yeah. So. Anyway, it, it, there's a lot to it. And, and then also I was, that was my A, the B for me, the reason I love this film immediately was because, um, I love films that can transport me to a childlike place or a childlike mindset. And there was a lot of just Spielbergian little, yeah, the little beauty moments and nuances of nostalgia and what it's like to be a kid and just like being silly and like making pancakes or throwing things or, you know, making forts in the woods, making forts. Yeah. Like I used to do that all the time. We, we had these Hills behind our house that had these bushes. And then the, the, sometimes the bushes had these, like, it was like really tall bushes had these coves that you could carve out and make a fort in. My favorite scenes were the ones where Nellie and young Marion were, uh, acting in what looked like an oh, original yeah. production. That's something that I think, cause Allie used to do that more than me, but she, I think she could relate with that. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. It was just, I thought it was so cute and like so well executed. Cause you know, a lot of times those kinds of portrayals could be taken as really cheesy or like, like Disney, Disneyfied. Yeah, for like, sure. Like the, the kids are just bad child actors and they're just, it's just not done well. This was just, I think it was just a very beautiful and simple idea and film and it was executed well. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the way that Celine writes. It was I, short. What? Yeah, let's, it was shorter than an episode of Stranger Things. To to touch on that for a second, I've never celebrated like I mean, first of all, I don't think I've ever seen a like a triple A, you know, film. Triple A film. And I, what I what I what I mean when I, I do say know that, what you mean. Yeah, I don't mean like a um, to say a blockbuster. Speaking about video games, because this is like what I would consider to be an independent film. Yeah, you know, just like a, a higher, uh, but it's more quality it's, production. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, and I've never seen a, a movie of this length that fit into that category. Usually, an hour twelve is like something like weird or low budget, or, or I mean, or I mean like fringe, you know, cheesy, campy. Mm-hmm. But this was like the perfect runtime. Seventy-two minutes was all we needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't need less. I didn't need more. <laughs> so that that's pretty cool. And usually, I'll I like the long film. You know, the two and a half hour like deep dive into something. Yeah. But sometimes it's good to get in and get out and uh, be done. Yeah. <laughs> Words to live by, but story of my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Celine and I, I'm very eager to look forward, you know, to what she has to make next. I am e- That was a really fucked up <laughs> sentence. Let me, I, let me run I'm it back. I'm keeping that in the Don't, podcast. please don't. I have to. I'm going to... That was the most... <laughs> starting over. Bamboozled <laughs> sentence I've ever I heard. I can't believe it's a tumble. I am able to believe that I can do the thing that I think that I could do. <laughs> do you ever wish you could, could that it. you could... Do you wish that you could... <laughs> what I meant to say was that Celine Siama 
is a fantastic storyteller, a no tour with the best of them. I'm very excited to see what she does next. Me too. And I want to go back and do her filmography to see like, you know, what led to these two movies that are honestly like pretty. I heard good things about amazing girl girlhood. Was it called? Yeah. I wonder if that was like in response to boyhood at all. I don't think no. so. Yeah. But it came out around the same time. And I think oh. boyhood was filmed over like seven or eight years. So I don't, think that they could have done that yeah i don't know i i oftentimes my my favorite i love directors that write in this way where it's like kind of a little poetic and it's sparse it's not overly exposited exposition you know her dialogue is always extremely minimal intentional yeah it's minimal it's not just minimal but it's like there's no wasted space yeah and that's you know as is evident with the runtime of the film right i think yep i agree but it's really, it's just refreshing to see that in the modern yes. era of just so much garbage. <laughs> so yeah. much uh, garbage that people, it's so <laughs> transparently, just nobody cares. Like, it's who, who is it for, you know? Totally. Not, not to point fingers, Disney. <laughs> but this, this felt, this feels like so much heart. There's so much heart in it. Yeah. And I would recommend it to, I think, everybody, so... Go so, watch. So far, the first episode of Miss Marvel also has a lot of heart. Oh, yeah? Just saying. Good. Well, good. <laughs> not to defend Disney. I, I agree, and I see what you're saying, so you're it's not the, you're It's not the media machine. It's like there's so much. Yeah. But the, these are the things that stand out, I think. And it's, I don't know, I keep thinking about the word authenticity, and it's like... Authentic? It, it has such a poignant message. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's beautiful. No, I, you're 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 right. You're not wrong. Yeah, just trying to f- f- explain it as I'm working through it myself because I just watched it less than twelve hours ago. But it's like, oh, it's all very fresh. So, wait, what time did you start this film? It was late or early, depending on your point of view. <laughs> did you watch it this morning at five a.m.? It's possible. That's what time Ada woke me up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ada. Never change. <laughs> Please change. <laughs> I can't sleep. Oh, man. There's a fun song we can play here at the end. Yeah. The one where they're in the, the boat? Music, they call it the music of the future. And I think it's, I don't know if it's what she's listening to. But yeah, that was interesting, too. It was like the single song in the film. They played it in that scene, and I think they played it again at the end. I come from the path behind you. That was like yeah. the coolest line of the film. Which also... It, it was super cool, but it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense outside of the literal context because she would have come from the path in front of her in, you know, the narrative because she was had yet to be born. <laughs> but yeah, this, but that's a great example of like the, the poetry of this film. I don't know, because the way that I thought about that line was that she knew the future of her mom's past which is why she said that. So she she knows in a sense the the past of her mom, which is why she's behind her. I don't know, it made sense to me. Yeah. It was a good line. <laughs> Gabe's like, you're stupid. <laughs> no, it, it 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 works. It just it, it struck me as odd when I heard yeah, that cuz yeah. it was like so genius and yet kind of uh, not nonsensical. <laughs> well, here we are. Here's the music of the future. This has been the TCP. Oh, God. That's still our name. Good luck. And good night and good luck. Until next time. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>